0: Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. I want to talk about Syria today, which is back in the news in the aftermath of Biden's military strike on a Shiite militant group near the Iraq-Syria border. There has been some criticism of Biden, even from members of Congress on the Democratic side, because he took the strike without congressional authorization and he's been reminded of the War Powers Act. But I want to look today at how this criticism is narrow and short-sighted and misses what is really the big U.S. scandal in Syria, which is ongoing and began under the Obama administration, continued under Trump, and by all appearances is now continuing under Biden as well. And the person who called this out, was someone who was on the national stage but is now no longer in Congress, and that is the former Democratic Congress member Tulsi Gabbard. And she released a video addressing her colleagues in Congress, her former colleagues in Congress, and pointing out that Biden's strike in Syria is far from the most serious scandal when it comes to U.S. policy in Syria today.
1: I am glad to hear that some of my former colleagues in Congress are speaking out against the recent unconstitutional airstrikes in Syria, but they're ignoring the bigger issue. The regime change war the United States continues to wage in Syria using Al-Qaeda, Al-Nusra, HTS terrorists as our proxy ground force and who now occupy and control the city of Idlib imposing Sharia law and cleansing the area of most Christians and religious minorities. The Biden administration continues to use our military to illegally occupy Northeastern Syria to quote, take the oil as Trump so crassly, but honestly put it, violating international law. A modern day siege of draconian embargo and sanctions, similar to what the Saudi US Alliance employed in Yemen is causing death and suffering for millions of innocent Syrians, depriving them of things like food, medicine, clean water, energy, warmth, and making it impossible for the Syrian people to try to begin to rebuild their war-torn country.
0: Now, what Tulsi Gabbard said there is important. She basically stands alone as a prominent political figure in being willing to not just criticize the U.S. dirty war and sanctions on Syria, but even to acknowledge it. Take the sanctions. As Tulsi Gabbard says, the U.S. is imposing crippling sanctions on Syria under something called the Caesar Act. And the Caesar Act explicitly targets Syria's reconstruction. This was passed by Congress in a bipartisan fashion in 2020. And it gets almost no discussion, certainly in Congress and also in the U.S. media, where if you read articles about how Syria is suffering a major crisis right now, at best, sometimes you only get one mention of the U.S. sanctions in passing. And what's interesting is that while you have people like Tulsi Gabbard virtually alone in criticizing the sanctions or even acknowledging them, there are others who are willing to acknowledge them, but they do so in a way that celebrates the fact that The U.S. is currently crushing Syria's economy and preventing Reconstruction. So take, for example, James Jeffrey, who is a former envoy to the Middle East under Donald Trump, and he recently wrote a piece for Foreign Affairs where he bragged that, quote, the U.S. crushed Syria's economy through sanctions. Now, it's sadistic, I think, to brag about crushing any country's economy let alone a country that has been destroyed by 10 years of war. And here again is where Tulsi Gabbard stands virtually alone politically in that she is also willing to acknowledge that the U.S., far worse than one strike by Biden on the Iraqi-Syria border, spent billions of dollars on a dirty war that lasted nearly a decade and which helped destroy Syria. The truth isn't hidden, though. For example, The New York Times called the dirty war on Syria, quote, one of the costliest covert action programs in CIA history. The Washington Post said that the CIA's program had, quote, a budget approaching $1 billion a year. In 2017, Washington Post columnist David Ignatius cited what he called a knowledgeable official who estimated that, quote, CIA-backed fighters may have killed or wounded 100,000 Syrian soldiers and their allies over the past four years. Now, to illustrate what kind of fighters the CIA supported in Syria, Ignatius gave the example of the rebels, quote unquote, who waged an offensive in a town called Latakia, quote, threatening Assad's ancestral homeland and Russian bases there. Well, according to Robert F. Worth of The New York Times, these rebels actually threatened genocide of the Alawite sect that was dominant in Latakia. This is what Worth wrote. He said, quote, If the rebels had captured the area where Alawites are the majority, a result would almost certainly have been sectarian mass murder. Many people in the region would have blamed the U.S., which armed some of the rebels operating in the area. So those are the kinds of rebels that the U.S. was supporting in Syria. And that's why Tulsi Gabbard accurately referred to them as jihadist proxy forces who would have done things like commit sectarian mass murder. And again, on top of the murderous sanctions, it is crazy that Tulsi Gabbard stands virtually alone in being willing to criticize this and that for her criticism, she has actually been made a pariah in Washington. Now, that doesn't mean that the truth has not been acknowledged before. And what I wanna do today is actually go through some cases where top US officials have actually acknowledged the truth about what the US did to Syria and contrast that acknowledgement with the level of public awareness and how often these critical admissions and facts are acknowledged in the US media and how that helps prevent a sane and humane policy in Syria today. So the reality of what the US did in Syria as described by Tulsi Gabbard, has been acknowledged from the very top, beginning with President Joe Biden himself. Listen to what Joe Biden said back in 2014 about what U.S. allies did in Syria.
2: Our biggest problem is our allies. Our allies in the region were our largest problem in Syria. The Turks were great friends, and I have a great relationship with Erdogan, which I have just spent a lot of time with. The Saudis. The Emiratis, etc. What were they doing? They were so determined to take down Assad and essentially have a proxy Sunni-Shia war. What did they do? They poured hundreds of millions of dollars and tens thousands of tons of weapons into anyone who would fight against Assad. Except that the people who were being who were being supplied were Al Nusra and Al-Qaeda and the extremist elements of jihadis coming from other parts of the world.
0: Now, Joe Biden actually apologized for making this statement, not because he got anything wrong. If anything, his only error was leaving out the critical U.S. role in all this because the U.S. alongside its Saudi, Qatari, UAE, and Turkish partners were spending money on weapons and facilitating their transfer to Syria. So Biden's only error was actually omitting the key U.S. role. But Biden actually apologized for this, not because he left out the U.S. role, but because his admission of the allies' role angered them. While Biden admitted the truth in public, other top officials have admitted it in private. So take Jake Sullivan, who is now Biden's national security advisor. According to WikiLeaks, in a leaked cable, this is what Sullivan wrote to Hillary Clinton back in 2012, quote, Al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria. And given that Al-Qaeda was on our side in Syria, you can imagine that Al-Qaeda benefited as a result. And they did. Because Al-Qaeda was able to fight alongside U.S.-supplied rebels and even steal their weapons, Al-Qaeda was able to capture a province called Idlib which it still occupies today. And this has led another top Biden official named Brett McGurk, who is now Biden's National Security Council coordinator for the Middle East and North Africa. Brett McGurk admitted in 2017 that Idlib is now al-Qaeda's largest safe haven since 9-11. Look,
3: Idlib province is the largest al-Qaeda safe haven since 9-11 tied directly to Ayman al Swahiri. This is a huge problem. It's been a problem for some time. We have shown the spotlight, the international spotlight on ISIS. Um, We've been very focused on Al-Qaeda in Idlib province. Leaders of Al-Qaeda that make their way to Idlib province often do not make their way out of there. But we have to ask a question, why and how is Ayman al Swahiri's deputy finding his way to Idlib province? Why is this happening? How are they getting there? They're not paratroopers. So and the approach, I obviously will not talk about anything the U.S. government has done in certain parts of Syria on this problem. But the approach by some of our partners to send in tens of thousands of uh, tens of thousands of tons of of weapons and looking the other way as these foreign fighters come into Syria may not have been the best approach. And uh, Al Qaeda has taken full advantage of it. And Idlib now is a huge problem. It is an Al-Qaeda safe haven right on the border of Turkey.
0: And by the way, it's not just Al-Qaeda that has benefited from U.S. assistance. It's also ISIS, as is also openly acknowledged. Martin Dempsey, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under Obama, told Congress in 2014 that U.S. allies have directly funded ISIS. He was scolded for admitting that by Senator Lindsey Graham.
3: Do you know any major Arab ally that embraces ISIL?
0: I know major Arab allies who fund them.
3: Yeah, but did they embrace that? They fund them because the Free Syrian Army couldn't fight Assad. They were trying to beat Assad. I think they realized the folly of their ways. Let's don't tank the Mideast unfairly.
0: And on top of having allies that directly funded ISIS, the U.S. also tacitly supported ISIS in its own way, too. Another Biden official, John Kerry, who is now Biden's climate envoy, back when he was Secretary of State under Obama, Kerry made a huge, secretly recorded admission. Kerry said that the U.S. stood back and watched as ISIS encroached on Damascus in the hopes that ISIS's advance would force Assad to negotiate. So in short, the U.S. was willing to risk ISIS taking over Damascus, if that could advance the U.S. regime change goals against Assad. And that's why Kerry said Russia actually intervened in Syria, because he said Russia did not want an ISIS or Daesh government.
2: The reason Russia came in is because ISIL was getting stronger. Daesh was threatening the possibility of going to Damascus and so forth. And that's why Russia came in. Because they didn't want a Dash government and they supported Assad. And, and, uh, and we know that this, this was growing. We were watching. We saw that, that Dash was growing in strength and we thought Assad was right.
0: So all these admissions by top Biden officials help expose one of the biggest lies about the Obama administration, where many of them served. And that line that we often hear about Obama is that he did not do enough in Syria. He did not intervene enough. It's the exact opposite. As all these officials have laid out, Obama massively intervened in Syria, primarily through a covert, giant CIA program. And that has led to the chaos that Syria is still recovering from today. And it was so cynical that the U.S. was willing to use Al-Qaeda and ISIS to advance their goals of regime change. And this takes me to another Biden official named Rob Malley, who served under Obama and is now Biden's envoy to Iran in the hopes of possibly reviving the Iran nuclear deal. Although whether Biden will do that is actually is unclear. But listen to what Rob Malley told me uh, in an interview we did back in 2018. Contrary to the dominant line that Obama didn't do enough in Syria, Malley told me that, in fact, the U.S. was a part of what fueled the war rather than stopping it.
2: Once we threw in our lot and we became part of the regime change, by definition, even if we denied it, once we're supplying the, the, the armed opposition, which had only one goal, which was to topple, had one goal, which was to topple the regime. And once we were in bed with the Saudis, the Qataris, the Turks, who also had that goal, and their goal was not just, their goal was not, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna simplify it too much, but their goal was not only to protect the Syrian people. In fact, as you said, a lot of their actions uh, uh, exacerbated the situation and led to more deaths. Their goal was to break the regime in order to break Iran's role in, the, uh, in Syria. Once we became part of that, then you're right. Then we were part of what fueled the uh, the conflict rather than stopped it. And-
0: so that is how the US helped destroy Syria, as told entirely by Obama and Biden administration officials. And pretty much everything that Tulsi Gabbard criticized is what these officials have admitted to. The main difference is that for the most part, none of these officials seem to see anything wrong with destroying a country via a proxy war, and then imposing murderous sanctions to prevent Syria from reconstructing. Now, it's worth stressing that Trump carried out this policy too. He imposed the Caesar sanctions that target Syria's reconstruction, and he openly admitted that the US is staying in Syria to steal its oil.
2: And then they say he left troops in Syria. You know what I did? I left troops to take the oil. I took the oil. The only troops I have are taking the oil. They're protecting the oil. I took over the oil. We're taking
3: oil. oil. We're not taking oil. Well, maybe
2: we will, maybe we won't. They're protecting the facility. I don't know. Maybe
0: we should take it. But we have the oil right now. The United States has the oil. And now Biden is continuing this by keeping U.S. troops in Syria. There are some reports that he's even fortified the U.S. military occupation there, and also keeping these murderous sanctions in place. It's worth talking about what these sanctions have done to Syria. So now there are reports of long bread lines. The country is facing a massive economic crisis. Its currency is at a record low. And the UN Special Rapporteur on sanctions, Elena Dohan, recently put out a statement calling these U.S. sanctions on Syria illegal and saying that they are imposing massive suffering on the Syrian people. Try to find a mention of her statement in U.S. media, across the board, even in adversarial sites like The Intercept and Democracy Now! It's been completely ignored. Well, she spoke to me on pushback about what these U.S. sanctions are doing to Syria.
1: Because of the fear, everyone is very scared to be involved into any reconstruction processes as well as any other processes, which as a
0: result affects the human rights and I would say even human lives in Syria a lot. that that basically results in a sort of discrimination toward the people of targeted countries, how it takes place in Syria. They do not get medical treatment, they do not get housing, uh, they do not get sufficient food. Now aside from this recent bombing at the Iraq-Syrian border, Biden and the White House have not said much about Syria. But again, all indications are that they plan to continue this dirty war that they started under Obama. And we can glean that from another Biden official named Dana Struhl, who is now Biden's deputy assistant secretary of defense for the Middle East. And previously, Struhl served as the co-chair of something called the Syria Study Group, which was established by Congress. And When Struhl discussed the sanctions on Syria, the hindering of reconstruction, and the U.S. military occupation, Struhl previously has been very vocal about the fact that all these things are leverage in pursuit of regime change.
4: The reason the Syria study group talked about needing to retain a U.S. military presence in that one-third of Syria was not only about completing the anti-ISIS fight, it was about the broader leverage of that one-third of Syria, which is the resource-rich part of Syria, which provided us leverage to influence the political outcome in Syria.
0: So similar to Trump, here is now a Biden official saying openly that the U.S. military occupation of Syria, where In the region where there is oil is leverage and is being used for u.s political goals and it's not just oil that's in that northeast of syria that one-third of syria that the u.s is occupying it's also syria's breadbasket it's wheat where syria's food is produced for the rest of the country
4: and that one-third of syria is the resource rich it's the economic powerhouse of syria so where the hydrocarbons are which obviously is very much in the public debate here in Washington these days, as well as the agricultural powerhouse.
0: So that's the U.S. leverage, according to Biden official Dana Struhl, occupying the third of Syria that has its oil and its wheat. And also, in her words, holding a card on reconstruction, preventing a war-torn country from rebuilding.
4: And there was some stabilization assistance in the part of Syria that was liberated from ISIS and controlled via the Syrian Democratic Forces in northern eastern Syria, the rest of Syria, though, is is rubble. And what the Russians want and what Assad wants is economic reconstruction, um, and that is something that the United States can basically hold a card on via the international financial institutions and our cooperation with the Europeans. So we argued that absent behavioral changes by the Assad regime, we should hold the line on preventing reconstruction aid and technical expertise from going back into Syria.
0: So that is the reality of what the U.S. has done to Syria, as told by the Obama and Biden administration officials who have carried out the policy. And again, compare the mild criticism you got from some members of Congress that Biden did not consult with them or seek their approval for his strike on the Syrian-Iraqi border, with their resounding silence on all the crimes that came before it in this 10-year-long dirty war, and all the crimes that are continuing today with these U.S. sanctions that are preventing the Syrian people from rebuilding. And it is very telling that the one person on the national political stage willing to criticize all this, Tulsi Gabbard, is the one who has been vilified for it, which we saw during the Democratic primary when Kamala Harris, who is now the vice president, accused Tulsi Gabbard of being an Assad apologist.
1: I think that um, this coming from someone who has been an apologist for uh, an individual Assad who has murdered um, the people of his of his country, to, like cockroaches, um, she who has embraced and been an apologist for him in a way that she refuses to call him a war criminal. Um, I, I can only take what she says in her opinion so seriously.
0: And so that really says it all. Tulsi Gabbard was saying for a long time, many of the things that as we saw, Biden and administration officials openly admitted to about Syria. The one difference is, is that Tulsi Gabbard had the moral integrity to criticize it, to criticize a catastrophic war in a foreign country, to criticize the continued sanctions that deny Syrians a chance to rebuild and Syrian children food and medicine. And until that changes, until Tulsi Gabbard's perspective on this no longer becomes the exception, but the rule. Until then, the continued rule under the Biden administration will be more suffering for the Syrian people after all the suffering and harm that, as Biden administration officials have openly admitted, they have already caused.